In October 2023, I had a mastectomy, so I um, had my right breast removed. Right, okay. And about six days after my mastectomy, I was told that by the surgeons, because of my diagnosis, my stage zero diagnosis, all I would need would be surgery and perhaps radiation. Yeah. Uh, six days after my surgery, I go back to the hospital for my pathology results, and we find out that it was not stage zero cancer. It was actually triple negative breast cancer. And that's pretty rare. Uh, it's the most rare of all breast cancers. Yeah. Um, 10 to 15% of all breast cancers are triple negative. Yeah. And what that means is that my cancer and anyone with triple negative, um, their cancers are not driven by hormones. Yeah. So it's much harder to understand where this comes from and also how to treat it. How do you feel right now? You have breast cancer. You've lost a breast. Mm-hmm. Your life is being challenged. Even the, the ongoing existence of it is being challenged. Give us a right hook and mm-hmm. a left jab and finish us off, please. How do you feel right now? E- extreme gratitude. How come? Because if I had not been given all the lessons that I've been given throughout my life, including cancer, surgery, chemotherapy, I would not have realised what my true purpose is and what I really want to do with my life and what I can do to bring complete zen, contentment, peace, happiness into my universe. And give it to Evie. And give it to Evie. And to all the people who who I interact with. Take us through the mastectomy. What what was that experience like of a woman losing her breast at 34 years of age? Yeah, that was transformative. It really was because I had to come to a realisation that my body was going to be different. So I prepared myself as much as I could in the months, weeks prior to having that mastectomy. Uh, my mantra became, I am not my body. And I would say that to myself often. I am not my body. I am not my body. Because I'm not my body. I, my spirit and the core of who I am is not this external thing that you see. You know, um, you know we're going to have to come back. Now, you know I'm going to ask the question. If you're not your body, well, who are you? But we'll, we'll just put that one aside. <laughs> we, can, we can put a pin in that because that's a big one. <laughs> feel about Louise Bennett right now? Oh, fabulous. I love her. (laughs) Did you hear that, folks? (laughs) The lady's got breast cancer. She's lost a breast. She's had sexual trauma at 11, 12, 13 years of age. She's only 34 years of age. How do you feel? Fabulous. Yes, dear listeners, you've joined yet another episode of A Journey with Bernie and Chip. Welcome to the partnership, dear people. And I'm so glad to be able to announce that word and chip yet again, because the partnership is one that is totally dedicated to bringing you not only terrific stories, it's really an invitation for you to join just two average guys who just happen to think that maybe there's a better way, a better way 
for what? A better way for finding greater happiness, love and joy in our humble lives. And how do we do that from week to week? Well, we bring you wonderful guests. And today, well, I'll tell you what, today's guests I've already decided, I don't think we're going to be able to cover all of the opportunity in one episode, Louise Bennett. <laughs> Gee, it's good to have you along here. It's fabulous to be here. We, we only met not so long ago. Today, you just informed me is Thursday when I thought it was Wednesday. When did we meet? On Saturday. On Saturday. And yet I can't believe through three meetings, I met you uh, Saturday evening and then we've had a coffee, we've had another coffee here this morning and now the podcast. I just can't believe the depth and the quality of this young lady's journey and I think I've already decided that we can't cover it in 50 minutes. So, hey... Are you available next week? <laughs> I sure am. <laughs> Podcast too. I've got a feeling it's going to be a part A and part B. So all we're asking you is to join two humble guys like the Chipster and the Bernster. And what we're going to do is bring you not only fantastic stories that Louise has got to offer and as our previous other guests have offered, but also... We're going to ask Louise to convert this into strategies and actions and routines and disciplines and ways of seeing the world that can actually specifically help us to become that more beautiful human being. Why? Unless we believe in reincarnation, we're only getting the one chance at this beautiful game of life. So let's maximize it. That's what it's all about, Louise. That is what it's all about. But your story, Louise, is so many faceted. I, I say faceted because I really don't know where to start because in our discussions, there's been so many interventions into your life that um, if we started there, you could offer our listeners so much. Why don't we grab the opportunity and start Louise Bennett, 34 years of age, here in this podcast. Who is Louise today? Oh, that's still a big question, Bernie. <laughs> I am, look, I'm a person who is finding herself. Wow. I'm in a journey of, um, you hear the phrase, doing the work, and I am very much doing the work right now, and just transforming my life into uh, this vision that I always knew was possible. Um, I'm a mother. I have a four-year-old daughter Evie. and Evie. I've met Evie. What a beautiful, beautiful little She's girl. She's an absolute treasure. Yeah. She is a treasure and it's an absolute privilege to be a mother. Yeah. So that, you know, that's really the core of, of my um, purpose at the moment is mm. just being present with my daughter. Surely you have another purpose. But I also have many more. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm also in this phase of just really embracing who it is that I am as a person and in yeah. doing so I'm discovering the things that I forgot from when I was a child. So I'm working on all these creative pursuits that yeah. belong to me um, and just stepping away from, from who I was for, you know, the previous phase of my life living in, you know, being a professional and kind of following that pathway that you think is the pathway that you need to take in order yeah. to be successful and happy. Yeah. Uh, and in doing so, I've found what true happiness is. Now, listen, I get all that. I, yeah. I understand all that. But for anyone who's watching this podcast on YouTube, they also recognize that the, 
the way that you presented yourself this morning. They could be excused for thinking that you've got alopecia. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it is alopecia. Tell us also no. about something that's very prominent in your <laughs> life at the moment. So I also am currently undergoing chemotherapy yeah. um, In at the start of 2023. Uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, yeah. found a lump in my breast, and I've been on quite a journey, you know, discovering at the age of 33 with a three-year-old daughter that you have cancer is... Um, quite life-changing, as you can imagine. Three-year-old daughter and single mum. And single mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and so it's been a process of figuring out how do I want, who do I want to be and how do I want to be throughout this process and yeah. what kind of things do I want to do yeah. to optimise my health and well-being while also improving what's going on in my body, this very obvious thing that exists here yeah. in my body. Yeah. Um, and so there was a period of uh, exploring how I could manage this. And my initial diagnosis, to delve into it, my initial diagnosis was incorrect and I was told that uh, it was stage zero cancer initially. Right. And so when you're given that diagnosis, you think, hmm, what can I do that isn't invasive surgery? Yeah. And so I went through a process of exploration into that. But there was a point where my, my gut, my intuition said to me, I think it's time for surgery. Yeah. And so in October... 2023, I had a mastectomy, so I um, had my right breast removed. Right, okay. And about six days after my mastectomy, I was told that by the surgeons, because of my diagnosis, my stage zero diagnosis, all I would need would be surgery and perhaps radiation. Yeah. Uh, six days after my surgery, I go back to the hospital for my pathology results, and we find out that it was not stage zero cancer. It was actually triple negative breast cancer. And that's pretty rare. Uh, it's the most rare of all breast cancers. Yeah. Um, 10 to 15% of all breast cancers are triple negative. Yeah. And what that means is that my cancer and anyone with triple negative, um, their cancers are not driven by hormones. Yeah. So it's much harder to understand where this comes from and also how to treat it because there's no hormonal intervention. Let's come to that, where, you know, where it comes from because you know, through our previous discussions, you've got some <laughs> – this is the amazing thing, dear listeners. Louise has got some really clear ideas as to, as to where the cancer has, uh, has emanated from. But let's just summarise what I'm hearing. You know, 34 years of age, Louise Bennett. Mother of the beautiful Evie, single mum. Dad's still in Evie's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yes. And, and, and favourably. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. You get on well and Evie sees dad uh, a fair bit. Um, you're well supported, yeah? Mm -hmm. So you've got a loving family that's still in your life and who's helping you through your, yeah, your journey. But you've been diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer that's already resulted in the removal of one breast, yeah? This is Louise Bennett, 34 years of age. Mm. Take us through the mastectomy. What, what was that experience like of, of a woman losing her breast at 34 years of age? Yeah, that was transformative. It really was because I had to come to a realisation 
that my body was going to be different. So I prepared myself as much as I could in the months, weeks prior to having that mastectomy. Uh, My mantra became, I am not my body. And I would say that to myself often. I am not my body. I'm not my body because I'm not my body. My spirit and the core of who I am is not this external thing that you see you know um, you know we're going to have to come back and you know i'm going to ask the question if you're not your body well who are you but we'll, we'll just put that one aside <laughs> we can we can put a pin in that because that's a big one <laughs> but you're um, not your body no um and so the night before my mastectomy you know i i said goodbye to my breast i wrote it a poem in the weeks up to and i can share that with you um i wrote a poem to my breast and i said goodbye to it and the night before you can share it now uh, it's quite long. Oh no! We'll, okay, we'll do. <laughs> long we can find a way to share it, though. <laughs> Podcast number three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, uh, but yeah, the night before, I'm standing at my um, beautiful partner's house, Brendan. Yeah. He's my soulmate, and I was at his house looking in the mirror at my naked body, and I said to myself, "Okay, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, you're going to hospital." And you're going to go through this process and you're going to wake up from anesthetic and your breast is going to be gone. Yeah. And I, I meditated and I stood in front of the mirror and I breathed it all in and I felt the feeling of what it would be like to wake up from general anesthetic and yeah. be in that hospital bed covered in bandages and all of that and to look down and to see something different, see yeah. bandages but no breast. Yeah. And I actually put myself in that place. I, I could visualize it. I could feel it. I actually felt what that was going to be like. And that prepared me very, very well. Yeah. And so when they took me into hospital the next day, there's a period of about six hours where actually they, there's nothing happening. You have to be admitted early in the morning. Yeah. Surgery is scheduled for about 1 p.m. And you don't even have your phone with you. They take all of your belongings, everything. You're there in a surgical gown and you have a TV and you're in a room with other patients waiting for surgery. And in that whole time, I just stood in the halls. I did yoga. I breathed. I held my breast. I said goodbye and I was ready. And so once I came out of that, uh, it was easy. It was easy because I'd prepared myself. Wow. And so there was... Um, you know, a few, the days afterwards, you know, obviously you're healing from quite major surgery. There's a drain with fluid leaking from your body. It's not comfortable. Thankfully, I didn't have my daughter with me for about five days afterwards. Her dad took her, which was fabulous. So, you know, I didn't have to worry about being a mum in that time. I could just rest and recover, um, which was extremely valuable. Of course, I missed her so much though (laughs) as well. Um, but you know, I had that time to come to terms with the changes in my body. And ever since then, there's only been one time, one moment where I've looked in the mirror and looked at my body and felt this sense of it was close to repulsion, akin to repulsion of, oh, this is a weird body. This is different. Um, But I breathed through it again. I just took some deep breaths. I, you are not your body. And ever since then, I've had complete acceptance. And so I told myself, post-mastectomy, I'm not going to change wait, change the way that I dress. I'm not going to change the fact that I wear a bikini at the beach. Yeah. I'm not changing 
anything that I would normally do. And I've kept that promise to myself. Yeah. And I think that that's really helped me as well. Just have sure, acceptance yeah. with what my body looks yeah, like now. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there is so much going on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I don't, don't even know what question to ask next. <laughs> <laughs> the breath work you've mentioned before, that's different than meditation. It is. Yeah. It is. Can you explain the process of breath work and mm. how it works for you, for sure. us, for those that go down that pathway? Sure. Um, so meditation and breath work are, in a sense, one and the same. Mm. It's just a different way of doing something because when you're meditating, you are focusing on your breath. But breath work is more intensely breath. Uh, and what that does, depending on the type of breath work that you do, because there are actually many, many types. Yeah. Um, but what we did on Saturday was a very intense type of breath work of bringing, um, you know, really adjusting the, the levels of oxygen in your system. And what that does is changes the chemistry in your brain. It and changes the energy levels. It changes. Ex exactly. It completely changes the frequency of your body and the energy that you're emanating. And in doing so, you can change your entire field. Um, What's field mean? Your energy field, your okay. Taurus, your aura, right. um, what you're relate, emanating out into the world. Aura, <laughs> yes. but I'm a Virgo, not a Taurus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's different words for the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I mean, in sharing my experience from Saturday, I, I've done breath work many times, many times before. And often when I do it, I cry because yeah. breath work is a release. It's an opportunity for if, if, if there's something stuck in your body that's harming you or hurting you, pain from your past or pain from a relationship or from an interaction with another person, it's a way to bring that out of your body. And crying is so therapeutic. Yeah. And breath work can help you bring those things up and you can cry and it's released and it's gone from your body. And it's out there in the universe. See, I'm finding this absolutely <laughs> fascinating because there is an inference that many of our listeners would 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 have the right to to question at the moment. Mm. It, it, even the concept of the intimation that all of our past experiences are somehow still stored in our body. Like, mm -hmm. you know, most people would probably think you have a past experience and guess what? I've got over it. I've moved on from it and it's, it's, it's no longer within me. Mm. Um, although if people are honest with themselves, they would recognize how much of who they have become today is actually a reflection and an interpretation of all those past experiences. And we also know many people whose attitude towards life or, or, or vision of life is still tarnished by things that have happened in the past. So the past does still live in, Absolutely. in there today. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's a fabulous book called The Body Keeps the Score. Just, I've heard that um, book so many times. Oh, it's, bri it's brilliant. Yeah. Bessel van der Kolk, and he's done all of this research, university-based research, into how trauma sits in our body. It actually sits there we, unless we learn how to release it. Let's give it another plug. What's the name of the book again? The Body Keeps the Score. I've got a feeling this is going to be the 2024 book. Yeah? The Courage to be Disliked by the two Japanese philosophers mm -hmm. won 2023 on this <laughs> podcast. But I've True. got a feeling this one is going to be elevated very quickly for the next six months. The Body Keeps the Score by? Bessel van der Kolk. Okay. Mm. Um, so, yeah, all this stuff about emotions, trauma, experiences being held in our body. It is true. Yeah. It is true. And 
unfortunately, most of us don't have access to regular therapists, psychologists, the people that we need to process the things that we're holding on to. So how can we learn to do it ourselves? And breath work is one of those things that we can do to for ourselves to release that stuff that we're See, feeling. And I'll throw in there because of my recent experience, and it was mentioned in the last podcast, the Vipassana meditation process that I did in Kathmandu, but having done it twice here at Pomona, here on the Sunshine Coast of, of, uh, of Southeast Queensland, the Vipassana process is, is totally dedicated to digging up the sakanas of the past and breaking them up so that you can be freed from the influence of past data, past memories, past mm-hmm. experiences. So you're, you're a strong advocate here for the, the combination of, of, of breath work and the meditative processes that mm-hmm. can help us release attachment Absolutely. to these things of the past. Mm. And when you have felt the release of attachment attachment from things of the past where does it leave you like who have you become Mm. what do you start to recognize i've got a feeling we're getting back to that question (laughs) (laughs) well it you know what it's done is it's made me learn that i am not what's happened to me i'm not my experiences i am not my past i'm not my trauma but you're not your body as well. I'm also not my body, so who am I? Bingo, let's go there. <laughs> uh, I am my spirit, and in all of us exists a spirit, a spark that yeah. is who we truly are, yeah. and that's eternal. It's timeless. Whether the, you believe is it divine? In, absolutely, it's divine. So some people would call it God. Some would call it God. You're saying and, that we are God. Yes, absolutely. If that, like, if you, so, you know, we all have our own interpretations, but aren't we all just divine beings that exist on this earth? And you can call it what you want. You can call it God. You can call it soul. You can call it energy, energy, essence, essence, all beautiful words. Force. Yes, absolutely. And you bring that into your, into yourself. And if you truly believe that you are these things, then how can you treat yourself as anything other than divine? Right. You know, I, I'm, what I'm finding fascinating, you know, with this description, which we have heard before on the on the podcast, but I'm starting to feel the privilege of bringing this message, this constant message for many people, which I think is arising in our world. There's too many young people like you, Louise, <laughs> um, and I can say that being twice your age, <laughs> that, that, that talk about the universe, that talk about the spirit within, and they're becoming aware of, of something other than the learnt life, the learnt existence, the evolutionary life that said, no, this is who you are. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what you've created and, and you two are on the pathway to you know, empire building, you know, the, the, the want for more. There's no, no end to more, we've heard many, many times. But running parallel to that is the other view, the the modified view, that we are so much more than that, mm-hmm. and that the rest is an interference. 
Yeah? Yes. You've got a big smile across yeah. your doll. You've just described how I view the universe. <laughs> and in increase... your words, babe, give us, mm. a, give us a sentence. Well, look, it's just that what we've been taught and what we have learned about how to live our lives, it's a construct. And you, if you want to live in that space and it's making you genuinely happy and it's feeding your spirit, that's fabulous. But there are many of us um, – who don't feel fed by that, who don't feel that that's the space that we want to exist in. And we're looking at alternatives. We're looking at ways of being that have existed for thousands and thousands of years within yeah. our villages and within our communities. And we're finding ways to bring that into our lives now yeah. because, because we don't want to, to live in this space of hurt or of um, being being shoehorned into an yeah. idea of something that doesn't align with who we feel that we are. I, I found it interesting. You said that it, you know it, it's okay if if you're um, if, if buying into society's paradigms of success and you know all the modelling that goes on television and um, it buying into that and the uh, the, the want and the creation for more. I'm making it up now. The million dollar property and three cars and the mortgages that go with it. You know. Seven-figure bank account, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's metaphors for all of that, but you just said if it feeds your spirit, it's okay. Mm. Do you honestly believe that? No, I truly do, because it takes all to to make a world, right? Yeah. You know, that expression is is true, yeah. and there is a balance in the universe. There's a balance. Excuse me. Now you got a balance. <laughs> <laughs> now you want a balance. You said before it's true. I'm, I'm going, no, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, mm-hmm. I reckon you've got to find the modified existence because the, the other world is going to torture you. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's, it's going to create a, a strain and a stress over time. Mm. Howdy, 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 friends and neighbours. It's Chip Huddy here, full of vim and vinegar and ready to pose to you another loaded question. Let's get into it. Uh, Now, Louise just introduced us to Bessel van der Kolk's brilliant book, The Body Keeps the Score. My wife, Renee, loves this book too. She she sent it to me. I've got to read it. I will read it. I promise. Uh, Now, this book scientifically validates how past traumas can interfere with our brain circuits uh, and affect our ability to focus, uh, stay in control, see people as they are. Uh, as opposed to like with immediate suspicion and distrust, all the bad stuff, uh, you know. Now with past traumas, you get the litany of suffering. You get chronic pain, insomnia, addictions, depression, obesity, anxiety, hair trigger rage, fear of intimacy. Here are some trauma stats for your care of Mr. Google. 70% of adults in the U.S. either experienced abuse and neglect as a child, rape, during adolescence or what was considered another kind of significant traumatic event. Now, crunch the numbers on that. That's 223.4 million people. An estimated 57% of Australians experience similar. Here's the worst part. Many of these people feel damaged beyond repair. Beyond repair repair. That's uh, that's a big call. So let's take a moment to marvel at the work Louise has done to get to such a fantastic mental and spiritual place in relation to her trauma, both past and ongoing. Okay, now that's inspiring. And if we have 
any sense at all. It should also be very instructive. She's finding a way. She's finding her way. And what that way looks like to me, and I think Louise would agree, is recognizing that if you hide your trauma, if you keep those darkest secrets locked up in your chest, what that does is create an ongoing war within your body. So here's the question. If past trauma is holding you back, blocking you from experiencing the fullness of life, then where are you going to find the support and the comfortable environment you need to open up and begin to reframe what is going on inside you? What are going to be your release valves. For Louise, it's been breath work and meditation. For you, maybe it's yoga, tai chi, prayer groups, whatever speaks to you. But what does speak to you? What will it be? How are you going to set about winning the war inside you? What do you think of that statement? Well, I, fight me. Come on, Louise. I will Come on. fight you. <laughs> no, um, I do think still... That, that those people exist that are fed and feel truly, truly at peace in that world. In that pursuit. Um, but I think that the percentage of those people was very low. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting too. And, 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 and I look forward to, you know, further podcasts revealing how that happens and how such people still find their, their ultimate and sustainable joy, mm. and you know, and as I say that, I should have a wry smile on my face because I can clearly believe that for the first you know fifty years of my life, you know, I was on that journey, um, but nothing like the journey of the last five years mm. that has stimulated and inspired a whole different state. In fact, it's quite um, unnerving at times because it requires a different identity. <laughs> can you relate to that? I can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? How, how has your identity changed over time? Mm. I used to be... Not at all the type of person that would come on a podcast. Let's just yeah. <laughs> start with that. I was I had extremely low self-confidence, um, very unsure of myself, questioned all of the decisions that I made, didn't feel – I remember a, a point in my life, maybe around the age of 26, and just thinking so vividly to myself – that kind of life is just not for me. Yeah. I'm that's not the life that I've been given in this lifetime. And what I was referring to was a life of contentment and of peace and of ease and of comfort. Yeah. I genuinely truly believed that I was destined for a life of constant struggle, of pain, of heartache, of trauma. Wow. That's what I believed my life was going to be and I and look at me now, I am absolutely not that person anymore. I'm so vibrant. And even in the midst of cancer, yeah. that's this much of my life, yeah. you know, as opposed to the the wonder. This is a podcast, so I shouldn't be just using visual interpretations yeah. here. But, you know, it's it's the tiniest little speck. Cancer is the tiniest little speck as opposed to all of the wonderful things in my world. But the person 10 years ago would not have... Responded. Believed that, yeah, so my yeah. identity has completely shifted. Yeah, completely. I am. How do you feel right now? You have breast cancer. You've lost 
abreast. Mm-hmm. Your life is being challenged. Even the, the ongoing existence of it is being challenged. Give us a right hook mm-hmm. and a left jab and finish us off, please. How do you feel right now? E- extreme gratitude. How come? Because if I had not been given all the lessons that I've been given throughout my life, including cancer, surgery, chemotherapy, I would not have realized what my true purpose is and what I really want to do with my life and what I can do to bring complete Zen, contentment, peace, happiness into my universe. And give it to Evie. And give it to Evie and to all the people who I who I interact with yeah well dear people you might consider this an interruption to the podcast not so it is a glorious invitation an invitation for you to join me and many many others on that mighty trail to Everest Base Camp in Nepal or maybe you'd prefer to do Gokyo Lakes yes you've got two choices there and both of them will not let you down why because you'll be walking under the shadow of the most powerful forces of nature upon our planet but you're also trekking and hiking with the beautiful Sherpa who are our guides are they the most peaceful tribe of people upon the planet? I think so. And they're beautifully founded in the spirit of Buddhism. Just imagine it. Nature, Himalaya, powerful forces, Sherpaism, Buddhism, all infecting and invading your soul. I'm letting you know now, dear people, you come on the mighty trek that's leaving Australia or entering Nepal on April the 3rd or 4th, 2024, and you cannot return to your home base, your country, the same person as the one who left. It is simply that powerful. Would you love to join us? Here's all you have to do. I want you to take note of this particular number. Now get a pen. I'm going to delay for a second. Uh, Three seconds I delayed for. Plus six, one. 412-982-444. Now, you text me and say that you're interested and within 48 hours, I'll have delivered back to you a comprehensive information kit that gives you all the information that you will need to make an informed decision about joining us and the globe on a mighty trek to Everest Base Camp. And please remember that preceding that trek, we're also going to spend two beautiful days with 550 disabled children in Kathmandu. Yes, we built them a brand new school following the earthquakes of 2015, which shattered their classrooms. And and, and I, I, I hesitate to say this, But thankfully they did because the new school that they've got has been a a new energy for this beautiful community called Kagandra. Dear people, come to Nepal with us where I promise you that your spirit to become that more loving human being generate greater inner happiness. It will be enhanced. Hey, let's go back to this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Are you enjoying it? Hey, um, you know, I started this podcast with the concept of let's just uh, 
um, look at you as a 34-year-old and I thought we'd go back. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should go back a little bit. And for the first time in a long, long time, because I've always valued spontaneity and impromptuness, you know, but you sent me an incredible bio here that actually is a chronological a journey of your life, you know. And I've got some things highlighted here and I would just love you to respond to them. Mm. You okay? Yeah. Um, when you were born, uh, it says here that you cried for the first six months of your life and your parents and others could not work it out. Why were you crying? But you actually believe it was a forecast of the challenges that you were yet to overcome. Could you explain that mm. a little bit more? Absolutely. I know you didn't. You probably didn't believe it back then, but in hindsight, mm. you actually saw that crying, or for whatever reason, it wasn't just a prickle in your nappy. Mm. You know that there was a reason for that. Can you elaborate on that? Okay, I can. I'm going to get woo woo here. Go woo woo. So when we come into the world. We are the most connected to spirit that we'll ever be because we've just come directly from whatever source you want to say it is, God, wherever. We've come directly from that place. So we're very connected. But obviously we're not in the body to be able to express that. Um, And so we come in with knowing. We come in with knowing. And, you know, my parents always tell this story about how I cried for six months and they took me to doctors and everybody and nobody could work out what it was and it's not reflux it's not this it's not this why does a baby cry for that when they've got nurturing and they've got love and they've got everything that they need there has to be a purpose and also my background is early childhood development yeah and I understand that when a baby cries it's communication yeah and so there was something that I was trying to express there was something I was trying to say in those first six months uh, and I believe it's intuition and I'll never be able to prove this, yeah. but I believe that it was me coming from source and saying, oh, this is going to be hard. There's some stuff that I've chosen here that I'm going to face yeah. and it's going to be hard and I just need to get this out now because then I have to be strong. Coming from source, what does that mean? Well, it, from source? source is the word that I use yeah. for, for, you know, wherever we are before we're here and wherever we go to after yeah, we're here. Yeah. See, even that is a, <laughs> is a, a message and a, a challenge to some of our listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. It's a challenge for many people yeah. and I accept that that is yeah. uh, a, a tricky concept. But yeah. even early in your beautiful childhood, despite the tears, um, the environment was loving. Mm. It says here that you – you came to truly love nature. Mm. What was your experience with nature and, um, in your early childhood? Uh, I was so privileged for a period to live in Catherine in the Northern Territory. Wow. And so I recall being very young, yeah. um, three, four, five, six years old, exploring Catherine Gorge and just being in that, that sacred place. It is an absolutely beautiful part of the world. And we would go there on weekends yeah. and just – just explore. My siblings and I would just be exploring, looking around, finding things, swimming in the in the gorge, which I think actually had crocodiles in it, but we didn't care, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was just this absolutely incredible experience 
to love nature. And so, and, you know, at home we would always be outdoors playing. And I recall one year my brother and I had this huge mud pit in our backyard and we just play in the mud and just that opportunity to be in nature was really valuable. What do you see in nature that is valuable to you? Nature is us. We aren't, we are not separate from nature. We are part of nature. And humans have this innate drawing to be in nature that we often suppress or ignore, but it's, it's part of who we are. When we ground, like, you know, put our body on the earth or spend time looking at the stars or hear a bird and tune in to what that bird is saying, we feel at peace. We feel contentment. Nature brings us that peace and contentment. And it might take some time if it's not something that you're used to, but nature is really just part of us. We're going back home when we're so, in nature. So as you say, my body is not my body um, and, and that you are of source, mm. I think you're intimating that a, that a the plant, the physical touch of a plant is so much more than the leaf and the, and the branch. The, the animals are so much more than the skin of a kangaroo and its great hind legs. Mm-hmm. It too is separate from – what we see is separate from source, but source is in nature? Absolutely. The same uh, source? Same source. There is a spirit in everything. There really, that's that's fully, truly what a I believe. A spirit or the spirit? A spirit. We all have a unique spirit. Wow. So I have, if I can, give yeah. you a meditative experience. Yeah. I was meditating one day and I had no intention. So it was just a very still meditation. And I inv- it came to me that I remembered when I was a rock in a stream. Yeah. My spirit was in that rock in the stream and then I saw the lifetime of that rock being in a stream and just being eroded over a long period of time and then the spirit chose to leave that rock and moved into um you know into something else and it moved on and on and on and then it's ended up here in me and I believe that the spirits in all of us have been Elsewhere before. This is why I say it's an absolute privilege to to be part of this podcast. And the privilege, by the way, has grown over time because I think there would be many listeners listening to what you just said and going, that's woo-woo, <laughs> off with the fairies. But I've got a feeling that in time that the essence of what you are saying is actually going to be uh, scientifically proven Mm. And in in a funny, like we attended a workshop that was actually called Quantum Physics Meets the Soul on on Saturday. And the quantum physics, I think, was a uh, a, a connected with the concept of the um, uh, the unified field Mm. um, with physics and science now advocating that they can actually identify, call, uh, clarify a an the creative energy source, the unified field. I, I don't do it justice, but it's something along those particular mm. lines. So science is heading towards once what uh, validating what we actually once called um, God. Mm. I think science is catching up to what humans have known for millennia. Yeah, yeah, mm. or what humans have 
they've known, but they've also created it. They created it under the frameworks of religiosity too. Mm. But they had to place it somewhere. And so um, rather than it just being in the religion or spiritual category, something way outside of ourselves, science is now appearing to catch up and explain it. Mm. What, true? Mm. You're going. Your your head's going up and down. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, humans have always felt this need to put things into a box to be yeah. able to explain it more clearly, yeah. and so hence religion or all of these different frameworks that exist. But they're all the same. Yeah. Across all of all of the millennia, across yeah. all of the history, whatever framework we've created, it's always the same at its core. Yeah, God in different is love. words for the love same thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. science. Now yeah. we just have the tools now. We've got yeah. technology that we never had yeah. previously. And it's catching up to be able to explain these Those phenomena. Things, yeah. I got a mate who says that nature is God. Mm. <laughs> I have a poem called Nature is God. <laughs> well, <laughs> I must introduce you to my good friend Tony. Mm. Uh, we have a lot to talk he, about. He, 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 <laughs> hey, so so it moves on to a part in your adolescence. Now, rather than me just read this this paragraph here, there there was a, a, a trauma that occurred in your adolescence. I'll let you elaborate on it, mm. please. Uh, what happened when you were young? Yeah, unfortunately, at the age of 11, 12, 13, I experienced sexual trauma from um, a man who was known to my family. Um, And it was a really complete, just life-changing experience to to be that young, you know, to be an adolescent and and have your first introduction to what sex should be um, taken from you in that way. Mm. It definitely... it, that is the, the trauma that sat in here the deepest and the longest. And it's occurred you know? once or twice? Or? It was over a, a few different uh, – like it wasn't just the one yeah. incident. Was it over years or months? Um, 11, 12, 13, so three wow, years. Wow, three yeah. years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, at that time, I know it sounds a, a funny question, but this is the question of the ignorant, you know, um, did you feel it as traumatic at the time or does it become traumatic as hindsight of what and recognition of what has happened mm. um, starts to surface? Mm. At the time, I was confused. I was very, very confused and I did not understand what had happened to me. Mm. So I it didn't feel traumatic in the sense that of what you would imagine trauma to be. Yeah. Um, but I also understood that it shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And that to talk about it would be uncomfortable and taboo. Um, and so... So you didn't talk about it with anybody? Not until I was in my 20s. Yeah. I held on to it for a very long time. And and therefore, what was the effect? This occurred between 11 and 13 and you're in your 20s. Like, who have you become as a result of that trauma mm. when you're in your 20s? So what the experience did to me was taught me that the world can be an unsafe place. Right. It It taught me that people are not always kind and gentle and loving and that bad things can happen to children like me. And it caused me to take on in my family 
this role of protector because I understood if this can happen to me, and this is a person known to my family, if this can happen to me, it can happen to my siblings. And I just took on this role of, of really trying to protect them, really trying to protect them from any sort of harm, any harm, not just the harm from this person, yeah, any potential harm that could bring that, that, that could come to them. Um, and it became overwhelming, very overwhelming to think in that mindset. Um, and then I took that with me into every relationship that I've had up until the age of 30, every relationship in my life. I, my friends, r- romantic relationships, I took on this role of trying to protect yeah. this person. I believed that it was my responsibility to protect them from any harm or pain that they might experience. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is the, the the emotional and and the uh, the psychological manifestation of, of of what happened to you mm. between the age of eleven and thirteen, that you are now the protector of all. Mm. And yeah. that's a very stressful place to put yourself in. Well, particularly <laughs> when you, you you're aged eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and you're exploring mm. who you who you can be mm. and yet it's already partly defined mm. you're the protector because the world's unsafe yes and uh you therefore don't want other people to experience what you're still harboring too mm. um i might add oh it's the blind leading the blind when you're trying to do that <laughs> yeah elaborate on that statement what do you mean by that oh in in trying to protect others i yeah. often ended up hurting both of us Right. Because you can't um, – you have to heal yourself first before yeah. you can attempt to to help somebody else. But also other people need to want to be healed or want to be protected yeah. as yeah. well yeah. Um, or but, want to to take that step to support themselves, yeah. you know. But as yeah. they're protected then, does that also put a pressure on them that they didn't embrace and, and enjoy? And so, therefore, that becomes the stress in the, in the new relationship that you're trying to, you know, formulate and grow. Did mm. your protection of them and, and being that role, did that put a pressure on the relationship? Oh, I'm sure it did. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a level of control when you're trying to protect somebody. Mm. G'day again, you gods and goddesses, you men and women and people of grand renown. Chip here again, second loaded question, and I want to hit you with a challenging one this time. Might make you a bit uncomfortable, might even be a bit painful. I only say this because I've done this countless times. I think we all have, and it's always a bit of a twinge to recall, but I want you to ask yourself this. When was a time that I, like Louise has just described, acted with the best of intentions, with love in my heart, to help someone, but because of some misunderstanding or misjudgment or misapprehension I might have had of the other person or the situation or my own abilities, it resulted in this person being hurt. When did the road paved with your best intentions lead you unwittingly into pain and chaos? I know it's hard to think about, but let's do it. Let's sit with it, but let's not leave it there. Let's now ask ourselves, What did we learn from that? What else might we be able to learn from that now that we're pondering it? What now would we do that we didn't do then that may yield a better result? How can we make that failure part of the sturdy foundation of future success? 
How did you start to dilute it? How, how did you start to move on? Uh, I really, it's, it's Evie. <laughs> it's Evie. She changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really, because I just, it was like this moment of realization that, oh, am I going to keep living this way? I'm obviously unhappy. Yeah. Um, I'm not doing anybody a service right now, especially not my child. Yeah. Um, and that was the catalyst to really look inward and say, what's what's going on here and what do I need to change in my life so that I can be a better person for myself and therefore a better person for my child and every other person in my world. So I feel as if we're now coming back to, to where we were around about 15 minutes ago because when we start to ask the question, what did you change, I get, get the feeling then that this was the catalyst for the discovery of processes, um, mm. the discovery of, of activity that could bring you more inner peace um, and understanding that you weren't defined by the trauma of 11 and 13 years of age, mm. that you were a person that had far greater capacity than, than what you knew, yeah? Definitely. Yeah. Mm. And so um, and so, the beautiful journey and awareness that you, you, now, you now live as a pursuit and that you now utilize as a fight against your cancer. Mm. Yeah. Which is, is, is fascinating too. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You, um, there was a question early on in the podcast in which I, I, I said I would ask, what caused your cancer? Mm. What do you believe has been the catalyst of the cancer? You, you, it's not just bad luck. No. Yeah. You believe? I truly believe cancer comes from somewhere in yeah. every person, and which is hard to, um, to accept when you're diagnosed with something very heavy like cancer, and then you have to say, well, this must have come from somewhere in my life. It's not just spontaneous. Yeah. The body keeps the score, yeah. right? Um, I have traumas in my life, more numerous than what we've touched on here, because there are some things that for, for, in respect to other people that we won't go on. Yeah. Um, I have many traumas and I held them in my body for so long that they manifested as disease or disease in my body. Yeah. And, you know, when you're when you are traumatized, this is science science as well. You know there are many research articles that show the connection between breast cancer, cervical cancer, and sexual trauma. This yeah. is this is researched. Um, other types of trauma as well, and other types of cancers. There's a link very strongly. Yeah. There is also um, links between lifestyle as well. But in my case, I know that that's not that's not where this came from. I've always yeah. been. A healthy person um, it's absolutely trauma mm. uh, it's the physical manifestation of me feeling the pain and the stress um, and holding it within me instead of actually releasing it in a healthy way um, and it sat in there for long enough for it to become a cancer and the cells mutated and they, yeah. and then they said hey we're here and I'm so glad that that's how this happened. I'm so glad that it came out and said, "Hey, ping, ping, ping. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. Um, because if I didn't know, if I didn't find that, then I wouldn't be releasing this the, the other stuff that was still in there. 
There's oh. an assumption in there, of course, and the assumption is is that you're going to survive all this. Yeah. Yeah. The assumption yeah. is is that you're glad that it's come out because by coming out now at 34 years of age, um, you're going to be released to have uh, another great chapter or great chapters of your life that are going to be blessed and blissed mm. by 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 what's um, what's come out. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I truly do feel that. I feel no sense of fear yeah. of death or of uh, what's to come. And and of course, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I say I have good intuition, and often my intuition is correct, but sometimes it's not. Yeah. And I don't know realistically, but I feel very, very strongly that, that this is just a chapter in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Remarkable. Remarkable story. One of the things I do promise the listeners, I promise myself and I promise the chip, <laughs> is the conversion of of one's journey and one's story into actions and mm. strategies and routines and, 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 and disciplines, ways of seeing the world. So as we start to wind up, we're, we're going to try to crunch it a bit down to that level of thinking. Mm. You know, what, what do we actually do mm. to be able to arrive at the place and the space that you are, you are at? Mm -hmm. So that's where we're going to start. In a definitive sentence or two, how do you feel about Louise Bell? It right now. Oh, fabulous. I love her. <laughs> Did you hear that, folks? <laughs> the lady's got breast cancer. She's lost a breast. She's had sexual trauma at 11, 12, 13 years of age. She's only 34 years of age. How do you feel? Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to head in that direction, mm -hmm. give us an action. Give us two actions, three actions, four actions. What must people do? What's fundamental? What's uncompromisable in order to find such joy and love in your life? Mm. So obviously I'm going to say meditation. Yeah. Just try it. Uh, meditation, breath work. Stop on the meditation there for a moment because I just want to throw, throw in there. Mm -hmm. Listening to a podcast yesterday, not my own folks, um, by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, Ooh, oh yes! Yeah, oh, he's brilliant. Yeah. One, one of the one of the great Buddhist monks who's mm -hmm. no longer with us, and Thich Nhat Hanh in this podcast said, "You meditate daily." He didn't say, uh, you know, every second day daily, because if you don't, you actually don't experience life on a daily basis. You meditate to experience the fullness of life. On a daily basis. If you don't, you don't experience the fullness of life in a day. <laughs> you must meditate, he was saying. Mm -hmm. Meditation is your touch of life. The rest is an illusion of mind, mm -hmm. he was, he was oh. suggesting. I found that Incredible. Quite, quite powerful. Incredible. So we've got to seek meditation just like we seek a visit to the gym. Mm. Just Absolutely. like we seek food on our table, mm. um, food to consume, meditation is fundamental, is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. The, the energy that you put into maintaining your physical health, give your mental health and your emotional health the same respect. Makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. Makes sense. Okay, that's one. Give us a second one. <laughs> All right. So breath work. Yeah. 
uh, which can be, be com- combined with meditation. Do the two in the one and you're knocking it out <laughs> if, if time is a constraint, constraint for you. I, I feel That's... we need to say there and recognize that the breath work is important because of its connection to the various energy levels. Mm. Uh, you know, they call it chakras, don't they? Yeah, all uh, the yeah, chakras. Yeah, 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 yeah. That flow through our body, but some of them get blocked. Some of them aren't flowing. And so, therefore, our connectedness with spirit isn't as harmonious as it, as it, as it could be or should be. Right? Mm. The breath work is a way to release blockages so that we can be harmonious, congruent, synergetic with source, with spirit, call it what you may. Is, mm-hmm. is that your interpretation? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, great. Yes. great. Okay. Yeah, very much it connects okay. us. Okay. Mm. So we've got meditation, we've got breath work. Mm-hmm. Third? Cold immersion. <laughs> now this can be a cold shower in the morning it can be you can, i started this is hilarious my naturopath was the one who said start doing cold showers because it gives you a dopamine hit and it helps your what's dopamine uh so it's a chemical in your brain mm-hmm. that makes you happy mm-hmm. it's a happy chemical mm-hmm. <laughs> um and so d- shocking yourself with cold yeah um helps change the chemistry of your brain so that you yeah. feel happier yeah um, and so my naturopath said, start cold showers. And I said, hell no. I was the f- person that was shivering in the freezer aisle at the supermarket. Yeah. I was not going to get in a cold shower. Yeah. But he planted a seed and I said to him, all right, I'll do it. And I committed. And I'd start off with like three seconds in the cold and I hated it and I got out. But then I built up to 10 seconds and yeah. I built up and I built up and built up. And now I just exclusively have cold showers. Um and exclusively. Exclusively. Day and night. Um, or actually, at night time, not so much. Um, <laughs> at night time, if I'm on my own, like, um, I will. But, uh, yeah, yeah, sometimes. Uh, Summer and winter? Yeah. yeah Summer yeah, and winter. Yeah. I started this in winter yeah, time. Yeah. Um, I also do ice baths and I do cryotherapy. So, um, cryotherapy. cryotherapy is going into a chamber that is at negative 80 to 115 degrees yeah. for three to five minutes. Negative. Negative. That's really cold. It's very, very cold. Okay. Um, And I started doing that um, just to explore it. But then also it's very, very good for um, reducing side effects of chemotherapy. Okay. So, of course, at the moment it's… Do doctors doctors suggest that it's very, very good? um, Doctors, some of them… Yeah. Yes. It okay. depends on where they're at in That's, their okay. path of understanding. We'll but see. there is science, there is research again yeah. about um, the benefits. Yeah. You it's, don't do what I do. You, you don't wake up and put on the warm water first, then just ease <laughs> into the cold. No. I find that worse. i got to go straight into the cold. Oh, the shame. <laughs> Only way I can do it. <laughs> really? You've done like, no. you've done Nepal and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still? Yeah, I, yeah, I've just got to be a bit braver, I think. A bit braver. Louise, um, we're winding up now. Um, You've got one minute, 90 seconds to say anything that you want to any listener out there. They may be going through a trauma. They may be going through a cancer. They may be going through the challenges of life, you know. But if you had the microphone and I said, here's the world, (laughs) and you got 90 seconds to speak to the world, what's your message? Um, Just... When something feels like it's resonating with you, listen to that voice. So if this podcast is listening to is resonating with you and you're thinking, I really should start meditating, yeah. listen to that. 
Uh, if there's something that is in you that you've been ignoring, listen to what it's trying to say to you. If you're feeling somewhere in your body that there's pain or there's hurt or there's a passion that's wanting to come out, let that come out and yeah. explore where that's going to take you. Yeah. Because at the other end of that exploration is freedom yeah. and peace. And I would love for, for the entire world to find a way to feel that freedom and peace. I would love for the world to feel how I feel right now. And I understand that when I say things like that, people look at me and they say, "Don't you've got cancer, Louise. Yeah. <laughs> but I still, the way that I feel is so whole. I would love for everybody to experience that, what that feels like. Well, Louise Bennett, all I can say is this is the fourth time um, that I've been in your your company and your your presence. I've used the word angel of joy before. All as I know is that you have arrived in a unique space. Um, I I don't often use this phrase, and I certainly don't use it in the way that I've heard it used before. But there is something a little divine about you. You know, you are of spirit. There is something that is godly. Um, uh, And there is something that is beautifully feminine about you too. The divine feminine is the phrase that I've used. But um, there aren't too many people that I meet where I'm really comfortable to use those two words and link them um, with a a person. It's been such a privilege to meet you on Saturday. To have the the two copies that we've had is just enlightening my own journey. And uh, I know that the Chipster and I are just so ecstatic that we've had the opportunity to hear from you, hear your story, but also to to understand what that spiritual pathway and journey is. More importantly, the power of it. The power to have cancer and yet be in a way joyful that um, it's part of your life because it can actually stimulate and inspire greater life. Louise Bennett, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've been part, darling, of a a journey with Bernie and? And Chip. And Chip. (laughs) Let's not forget the Chipster because he's going to add so much value to this podcast once he's heard it. Hey, thanks, Louise. Just absolutely beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. I can't wait for the second one. There's going to be a second one. Definitely. (laughs) It will be. Yep. Cheers, dear people. Hope you enjoyed it. I loved it. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, good people, what did you think of that? I don't know about you, but I just loved it. But I continue to love these stories and these journeys of people's lives that can give to us strategies and actions and routines and and disciplines and ways of seeing the world, all of which can help us to become more loving human beings, happier ones too. 
And listening intently is the chipster, Chip Lachlan Huddy, our editor and producer. And as promised, he's about to deliver Chip's take-home pay, a four-minute summary of all the goodness and the gold that we just heard over the last hour. Hey, take it away, Chip. Thanks, Burn, and thank you, listeners, for joining us this episode and for joining me on this somewhat feisty edition of Chip's Take Home Pay. Feisty, because I'm going to take to task something that our magnificent guest Louise said, and guess what? I reckon she'll listen to this episode. I reckon she'll hear what I've got to say, and she's already agreed to come back on the show, so there'll be all the more to discuss when she does. So at the risk of sounding cocky, I think you guys are going to have a lot to look forward to. So let's get into it. What am I pushing back on? I'm pushing back on when Louise said, I am not my body. Jeez, I think the body gets a bum rap when we get spiritual. I think even if you believe, as Louise does, there is something eternal in human consciousness uh, which can carry on beyond the death of the flesh. And that's a concept about which I remain very dubious, just to declare my bias. Uh, I don't think there's any denying that matters of the flesh absolutely have an impact on that eternal part of you. And nothing in Louise's story, I think, is incompatible with that. So think about her preparation for her mastectomy. She writes a poem to her breast. She's externalizing her thoughts and feelings around this imminent loss of a part of her flesh, the better to prepare her mentally, yes, but also spiritually for the loss of that flesh. So clearly this part of her is deeply important and not simply on the level of aesthetics. Clearly, this action upon the flesh will have consequences for the spirit, or she wouldn't need to prepare herself spiritually for that loss. Similarly, think about Louise's use of breathwork. She deploys breathwork to calm herself, to release trauma, to access alternative states of being. Now, this is a physical practice which has impacts on a spiritual level and does so regardless of your definition of spirit. If you define spirit as Louise does, as the divine spark, the eternal consciousness, my point holds true because physical events like trauma can be stored and carried on within the spirit. So you get ideas like karma and samsara and virtue and sin and physical practices like breath work can help release these traumas from the spirit. Now, on the other side of that same coin, if you define spirit as I do, more materialistically, I define spirit as the mind uncluttered by thought and unconstrained by the limits of human perception then my point absolutely holds true that the physical affects the spiritual because spirit arises from mind, mind arises from the brain, the brain is an evolved physical organ. So from whichever angle you come at this question, I actually think it's self-evident that the physical and the spiritual are not discrete parts of the human machine. They are an interdependent system. Uh, The same way that our cardiac system is interdependent with our respiratory system, with our digestive system, with our lymphatic system. And I think we ignore this at our peril. I'll put it to you. You can't have a maximally healthy spiritual life if you don't acknowledge and nurture the fundamental connection between body and spirit. You cannot live a full life if you believe you are not your body. But the only way to have a shot at a full life is to accept that you are more 
than your body. That is the distinction I want to make, not separate from, but more than. So that was a lot of highfalutin rumination, but I hope you've borne with me because I think it was necessary to lay the groundwork for the nuts and bolts of today's take-home pay. And because I've subjected you listeners to a miniature dissertation, I'm going to make the take-home pay severely actionable today because you have earned it, friends and neighbors, three things that you can implement this week to service the majestic, interconnected, interdependent system that is the human machine. One for the head, one for the body, one for the spirit. The heart can wait till next week. Here we go. Start with the head. I want you to go to the show notes for this episode, either on your podcast app, or you can find all of our episodes on the podcast page of our website at journeywithbernie.co.co, not .com, journeywithbernie.co. Uh, and this episode is episode number 60. So go to the show notes for episode 60 and find the link to cognitive psychologist David Hoffman's 2015 TED Talk on YouTube. This TED Talk is called do we see reality as it is question mark and this thing is fascinating guys so it's about his interface theory of perception how he believes our perception of reality is entirely evolved through natural selection but doesn't actually and can't actually represent reality as it is now it's a bit dense but i highly recommend it if you're interested in a robust scientific interrogation of human consciousness and by extension, human spirituality, because spirituality is all about our perceptions, both inward facing and outward facing. Check it out. Let's move on to the body now and allow me to ruffle some feathers. Every single one of you should be doing some form of resistance training. Calisthenics, weightlifting, resistance bands, doesn't matter. Just get started and keep going three times a week. No more than an hour is a good goal to aim for. It's the reason I've been to Everest Base Camp twice with joy and not suffering in my heart. It's the reason I'm good at photos and video because I can hold that camera steady. It's the reason... The ladies love me. So get out there, lift something heavy, and then do it again and again and again. Lastly, definitely not leastly, we move to the spirit. Guess what I'm going to suggest? You'll be getting sick of it by now, but guess what? Don't care. You need to start meditating. The message is old, but today's specificity is the novel entry point. Go to the show notes again, and we'll link to Mr. Chad Foreman's 21-day meditation challenge on the website Teachable. 50 bucks for 21 structured guided meditations to get you going and to keep you going. Reason I can recommend this so full-bloodedly is because I did the challenge myself, I completed it, and I now continue to meditate regularly, not daily, I confess, but the frequency is increasing, and here's the coolest thing, guys. I am rubbish at meditation. The thoughts are loud and strong and persistent, and I never get through a session without thoughts encroaching multiple times, and yet, even so, I find myself calmer, I find myself more alert. I find myself more aware, more effective in all realms than I was before I began to meditate. 
This is a noticeable change. It is a persistent change. So the meditation is working even though I'm not good at it. And if that doesn't get you pumped about the possibilities of meditation, that something can be noticeably effective even when you're as crap at it as I am at meditation, then Bernie and I have failed you, listener, because you clearly can't feel joy. And if you can't feel joy, you definitely need to meditate. So click the link, sign yourself up, and get down to business. Let's end it on a high, listeners. Let's end it with energy. I'm Chip Huddy. This has been Chip's Take Home Pay, and I know you found some pay worth taking home. As always, my friends, auf Wiedersehen. Ah, that was gold here, people. That was Lachlan Huddy and Chip's take-home pay. Simple strategies, aren't they? Just humble suggestions taken specifically from this episode. And you know and I know that if we implement them into our lives, it's just going to help us to be happier, a more beautiful human being and a more loving one at that. And who doesn't want that happening in their lives? Oh, dear people, I do hope this episode of A Journey with Bernie had a positive impact upon you. I can't wait to deliver the next one. Hey, it's just around the corner. Please enjoy this journey of life. Embrace this journey. And in the meantime, dear people, just remember this. Remember this.